Good morning from New Zealand and welcome to the Blind Podcasters Roundtable here on Clubhouse. It's Jonathan Mosen with you. The rain is pouring down. It's all very dodgy, but we've got a good discussion for you today on podcast topics. Just before we get into that, an update on the Apple situation, which is really just to say that there is no update. Things are still broken in Apple podcast land and people are getting quite frustrated. On the Blind Podcasters email group that we've created, the Creators uh, email group, I mentioned the podcast that has been released by Dave Jackson in the School of Podcasting, where he has been discussing this and talking about how long it is taking for Apple to fix their podcast submission process. He also does thing a thing called Ask the Podcast Coach. And over the weekend, he is reporting that there is still no progress to report. So pretty extraordinary and very frustrating for those who want to make podcast changes or start a new podcast. So uh, do keep uh, tabs on the email group because we are discussing that there. If you're not on that email group, you can join it by sending a blank email to creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. That's creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. We have what I hope will be a really interesting discussion today. One of the key elements of a successful podcast is making it easy for the listener to listen to, making it a pleasant experience. But some people go overboard with their editing and the audio can sound very jarring. It clearly sounds edited. It doesn't sound natural. So where is the sweet spot and what are the tricks to doing editing well? And joining me on the Magic Clean Feed, which we will beam into Clubhouse, is Glenn Gordon, who is the host of uh, Freedom Scientific's podcast, FSCast, which uh, I've heard once or twice. And also, uh, he's just been around. He's a radio guy. He's been around for a long time. This time, Glenn, I take it you're not going to ask me any curly questions. Not till the end. <laughs> what got you thinking about this editing question and having a discussion today about this? I guess a couple of things. One of them is I've been editing audio for a really long time. And the second one is that it doesn't seem to be a topic that comes up very much. And if it does come up, it comes up in in terms of gross editing, you know, how to remove a big chunk of spoken text that you want to get rid of. But it doesn't really normally delve into the, the area of sort of fine grain editing, uh, both from a technical standpoint, but also from a content standpoint. And, it, and it's something that I've actually become passionate about in recent years. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, I did a two-hour live talk show on a radio station in Los Angeles. And at the time, I remember really liking the idea that the show was live. Because if it was a good show, I went home feeling high, Everything went really well. And if it was a bad show, there was nothing I could do about it except, you know, strive to do better with the next guest the following week. Yeah. There was no ability to tinker with it. And uh, when I came back to start hosting FSCast, uh, my editing of other people in years past, although almost completely my editing was in the analog days, the days of cutting tape with a razor blade and pushing the ends of the tape together so that they would line up, preferably with no gap in the middle, and slapping a small piece of tape on the top of it, I was really good at making the right cuts and coming up with seamless edits. But, you know, physically putting that scotch tape on top and making sure it was aligned, even though there was a metal splicing block where you could do that. I was an accurate editor, but I was a slow editor. So when I started hosting FSCast, I really needed to learn Reaper. And although the mechanics were completely different, I was thrilled to realize that some of the tricks and techniques that were applicable in the analog world in terms of where to cut and how to make that more seamless... Uh, could be applied in the digital world, but it was so much faster. Before we talk so, about sorry, some of Sorry those, for the long answer. No, that's a good, that's fine. I just sit here and let you go with the answer. That's great. But before we talk about the specific techniques, I do remember us having a discussion. It may have been even 10 years ago. It was a long time ago now. And you talked about how, as a listener, 
you listen to, say, certain current affairs shows, things like that, and you comment on the bad edits and how, the, as a listener, the bad edits really irritate you. So as a listener, what makes a bad edit? What makes you grit your teeth and think, oh, no, that's a terrible edit? I think there are a couple of things. The easiest one is people don't leave a breath space. They put things together that would never naturally occur in the wild. And I'm forever inserting small pauses uh, in between chunks of speech that end up getting put together to make sure that as best as possible, it would sound like it would sound if someone were saying those two things back to back. I remember hearing an interview or two with Ira Glass, who created and produces This American Life on public radio stations all around the U.S. He goes into edit sessions with his other producers, and he'll either send them notes or say at the time, add add 100 milliseconds here, add 200 milliseconds there. So it's uh, it's not just me who who thinks about that. I, I think a lot of the the people who are really good at editing uh, make sure that there are pauses. And what I'll do is listen to someone, the end of whatever they're saying, and I'll sort of tap my finger or hit the pause button when I think it would be appropriate for me to come in if I was having a civil conversation with them. That's the point where you want to cut to the next thing. Uh, But in terms of what's jarring, if you hear two things that are put together that can't happen because of, let's say, voice inflection, Mm. right? Someone's voice is not going to go from A to B (laughs) in real life. If that can't happen, then an edit that makes that happen is going to seem unnatural to anybody who hears it because they'd never hear it in the wild. So how much does this matter? If you've got great content, to what degree should you stress out about this and spend lots of time? Because I imagine doing these sorts of edits, in fact, I know, (laughs) we both know, doing this sort of editing is really time-consuming, isn't it? It takes at least twice as long as the original interview does. It does. I find it liberating in a really strange way. That is that even if it wasn't a an interview that flowed well from the beginning. So you ask lots of questions, you talked about lots of things, some things worked out well, some things were rambling. You can always save it, or most always save it, as long as you're not you know, committed to an absolute amount of time. I find as a listener, I want to get the gist of what's being discussed. I don't necessarily want to hear all the ums and ands and ers and parenthetical clauses that sometimes take away from the significance of the main topic at hand. But are there times when they are significant? I'm thinking that if you're interviewing somebody, I mean, let's look at, say, the project that you and I worked on a couple of years ago, the, the In the Arena project, where if you're asking a difficult question and somebody is being required to be very reflective, perhaps recalling difficult times or difficult decisions, then sometimes that hesitancy is a part of the answer, isn't it? Oh, abs- yeah. I was thinking less about hesitancy and more about answers that sometimes delve off into something that's not terribly interesting and not relevant. Yeah, I agree com- I agree completely on the hesitancy, right? If you ask someone a reflective question about something that they really regret and feel badly about, if you don't leave enough of a pause, it's going to sound like they weren't contemplative at all. It's mm. going to sound like they were, you know... <laughs> ready with this glib answer, which may not have been the case. So there's an ethical issue here. You can, you can, you can change the entire tonality of someone's answer. So when do you know when to tighten up the ums and ahs? When are they superfluous? Is it just an intuitive thing that you get good at over time? 
I mean, I I like to think I've gotten better at it over time. It's 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 up to others, obviously, to say. But but more broadly, I think you need to really think about. One needs to think about: Are you in any way changing the meaning of what this person was intending? Either you know, intentionally or not, if if something you do is going to either eliminate something that they would have thought to be profoundly important to their answer, or by carefully editing, you've managed to change the meaning or the perceived intent of their answer, then you've absolutely gone too far. If If you're able, in good conscience, to maintain the flow of what they're saying and keep their message intact, then I think as someone who's doing the editing, it's good for your podcast, it's good for what you're producing, and it's good for the other person. And most of us think that we speak better than we actually do, unless we've really consciously worked with ourselves to eliminate the ums and the ors and the ers and the you knows, uh, we will say them. Yep. So good, good, re- someone, good promotion for Toastmasters. Get with the grammarians and go to a Toastmasters place. <laughs> what if I don't like toast? Well, go to the I'm wine kidding maker. you. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> we've got we've got some we've got a raised hand, so we'll open it up in just a moment. Are there complementary plugins that can help with this process? For example, do you work with the Debreath plugins, such as those that Isotope or Waves offer? I've used, you know, I've used them uh, periodically. I don't, I, I don't like the way they sound. It sounds to me like, and, may, and maybe this is my lack of experience with them. It sounds like it's simply turning the gain down a little bit during during the time of a breath. Yeah. And so, if if you pay any attention, either consciously or unconsciously, to the background ambience of the room, you hear the ambience change. I I'm not usually bothered by breaths unless someone <sighs> I can't do it now I should get closer to the microphone. Every now and then I've had 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 a guest who's heavy heavy on the breathing. I do like the RX8 voice denoise. Right. That that often does uh, amazing cleanup of just background noise because of bad sound cards. Yeah, we've come a long way with this stuff. I remember when I started using the denoise plugins in the SoundForge days in the late 1990s, and it was so easy to get artifacts into those. But I use the isotope denoise a lot for listener contributions as well. It's amazing digital editing. I think one of the examples I gave in a SoundForge workshop, which I did at the ACB convention in Louisville, Louisville, I learned how to say it, in 2000, was it was just after the Clinton impeachment. And I took that file where he says, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And you, it's so easy to take the not out of that file. And it just goes to show how powerful editing can be. So there is a moral imperative not to change the context or even the nuances of the speaker in what you're doing, right? There's some responsibility there. Ab- absolutely no i i i agree i agree a hundred percent and hopefully i've not crossed you know hopefully i've not crossed that that mm. line with the stuff that i do but i think it's a risk for all of us yeah all right well let's open it up and we'll, we'll just have a general discussion whether you have experiences to share because i know we have a number of experienced podcast producers editors interviewers here today in the clubhouse room or whether you're just getting started and you want to talk about techniques and we may get a bit more specific about how glenn is doing this thing in reaper shortly please feel free to raise your hand we'll bring you up to the stage if we give you sufficient time you are also welcome to go into the room actions which is at the top of your screen when we bring you on stage and switch the quality of your audio to high it makes a big difference it gladdens our audio geekery hearts And it sounds nice on the podcast. So with that said, let's go to a former contributor to this podcast and somebody who's done a lot of work in Reaper. Derek Lane is with us now. Hi, Derek. Hey, guys. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Hey, Derek. Long time no talk. 
and I just got a phone call. Are you there? Yes, yes, we are. Okay, all right. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. Glenn was good, saying thanks. it's been a while since he talked to you. I know. Uh, I had worked with him back on some uh, seventy-eight restoration efforts around Christmas time of last year. Those, those are that old stuff is so much fun to to, to delve in. It is. So, what are your thoughts on this whole editing thing? Because I know you do a lot of it. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Glenn's. Um, techniques because i've done stuff like take syllables from different parts of attempts to speak a sentence because what some people will do is they'll start an idea and they'll get halfway through it and then they'll back up as if they said nothing and then say it a different way but it might take both attempts to get a full sentence across in a cohesive way if that makes sense so yeah i'm i'm not i'm not clear that i'm gonna add much to your repertoire you you seem to have been doing this for a really long time. Well, I'm always in learn mode. I don't care how long I've done something. I'm always in learn mode because sometimes there's just a better way of explaining something that I may be trying to explain to another. See, that's the uh, thing. You can never you can never know it all. And some people say to me, "Why are you listening to all these podcasts about podcasting when you've been doing this stuff since 2004?" Because there's always some little nugget lurking about, and I don't want to miss out on that nugget. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, my problem is is that I've actually inadvertently, because of editing, put pressure on someone to be a better presenter live than they actually are. I'm not going to say who in this community because that's not fair. Um, but I was actually like, you need to stop doing this um, to me, for me, when you're editing my stuff because I feel obligated to be on point all the time and I'm a human and stop it. Please let me sound human. Let me say um and uh occasionally. <laughs> that's an interesting question. That, you know, so, that's really interesting. Yeah. You are a professional podcast editor, of course, Derek. I mean, you get other people's podcasts and whip them into shape. So that's a very interesting observation that you make, that sometimes you can completely change someone's audio tonal personality or something like that if they tend to be hesitant. Yeah, if they're hesitant and there's those little pauses or they may start a sentence one way and then kind of back up and kind of regroup and then start again. And you take that whole first attempt at getting an idea out there that goes nowhere, that kind of orphaned idea. They just strike that whole part from the record. And so they're always on point uh, in their podcast and in life. That's not so. I'm not saying that they're not you know good or whatever in life. I'm just saying – it does change their entire presentation style. And what do you do with that? Do you let it go I, because that's who they are in life? I feel I feel like you as an editor and producer to the degree that they will let you need to do your best to advise is it going to sound dramatically better as the result of editing? And will it potentially attract people to the podcast to listen or to listen longer than they would be there if you didn't edit this person? And, it, and that obviously is needs to get balanced with they're not wanting to feel like you're, you're changing their persona. That's kind of. I speak what better I was... on FS cast, FS cast than I do in person because <laughs> I do retakes. Yeah. Well, sure, because you can. Why shouldn't you take yeah. advantage of the of the space and the time and the editing? Yes, I actually I act right until you like it. I I spoke at the National Coding Symposium last week. It was the first uh, live presentation that I had done in a while. It was so liberating to just be able to talk, mm. to go in with enough notes that I wouldn't stumble all over the place and be able to do a relatively cohesive presentation and then be done with it and not have to tweak it. See, that's the interesting so thing. I think because you ways. know you can, you tend to be a bit lazier, don't you? Because you know it's so easy to go and fix it. But exactly. then when the pressure's on and you're in a live situation – you probably perform better. I mean, I'm a notorious retaker because I get a lot of email that comes in from listeners. And sometimes I read a couple of sentences and I think, eh, if I emphasized the sentence in a slightly different way, now that I understand the context a bit better, 
then it will probably communicate the listener's intention better. So I go back. Uh, This is one of the things that I really like about Reaper, by the way, is that not only is Reaper very good with edits, but if you're careful and if you're good at it, Reaper's also very good with the drop-in, which I used to do a lot in the old Revox reel-to-reel days. You know, you could wind back to a point where there's a natural pause between sentences and just whack record at the right place. Well, hopefully don't whack it too hard or you'll hear it. And then just pick it up again. I actually have a question for both of you on this topic. So so my technique for doing drop-ins like that is has historically been really different, which is that I'll go off to another project, mm. record a little before and a little after, and then try to come up with good places to cut inter, you know, interword. Huh. Uh, to try to fit it in. And it, I think it sounds fine. It's, it's less that than am I being the most efficient with my time? Would it be simply quicker and sound just about as good, if not as good, you know, doing the drop in kind of thing? See, for me, and I'm sure Derek has lots of extensive experience of this, the drop in method only works if you are at the end of your project when you want to drop in. So if you're, if you're just building it up, and you want to go back and re-record and just keep going, and you're at the end of your project anyway, then that's when I use that drop-in method. But when I'm inserting something afterwards, so if I've finished the project and I'm playing it back, and then I think, gosh, I really should have said this or said this differently, I do exactly what you do. I open, in fact, I believe it was Derek who taught me how to do that. I open a new tab, uh, project tab, and record my little insert Make sure that rippling is set appropriately and copy it to the, in the original project, copy my new segment to the clipboard, paste it in and delete the old segment. Yes. What do you guys That's do about do. levels? What do you guys do about levels in these cases? So I normally, uh, no, uh, what is, what is, what is shift U in Reaper? <laughs> yeah. And Normalize then, loudness or yeah. whatever. Tell, yeah. I always take it. What I've luck been experimenting do you use between not. Yeah, I use either 23 or 16. I haven't settled on which one I like. Right. I do 16 for the final mix, but I've been doing minus 23 for everything else. And it's it's a pain to need to do that for every segment. But I want to at least get the audio balance, uh, the audio levels close to matching. Have either of you come up with a qu- quicker way of so essentially getting that done automatically? Until- for each track, I'll just do peak normalization. So I'll just um, take all the items on a track. I'll just air it to a track where I've got a bunch of recordings on it, and I'll do um, Control-Alt-A to select all the items on the current track and then shift in to normalize all items to common gain. And that will just sort of group them together as if it was one big recording that it normalizes to 0 dB peak. And then this way I know what numbers, when I put compression and stuff on, what the numbers are going to do. I'm not going to be surprised. So by why do you like that better than here. the Luffs? Why do you like I that guess, better than the Luffs method? I guess mainly because of my background from mixing. So if I know the the loudest thing is going to be at zero dB, I know generally what numbers I can feed into a compressor to get a predictable result. Yeah, and um, you're not going to get that. I know that with like Luffs. it might right because all it would take is just, for example one or two things could be way, way, way over zero because everything else was lower. But there's like one or two things that's way, way over the top. And I want to address that first. But again, this is just from a a different background thing. Well, no, I like like what you're saying. It's interesting because you can always do luffs at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and in, in this way, if I know when I normalize it, oh, that's actually rather quiet. What... Oh, the I was recording when I bumped the mic. Okay, well let me take that out. You know, um, let me let me go to each of these items that are on this track and hit Control K and go to the loudest point in each of these little items and check out and see what the loudest points are. Oh, there's a a plosive right there that I didn't notice, or oh, there's a cough right there I didn't catch, or oh, you know, and you can just go through. And then when you do your um, normalize to peak again, Control Alt A, Shift N. And then everything pops up to what is a nice, normal listening level. You know you have gotten everything leveled off in a more predictable way. And then you can do your left stuff at the end. Yeah. 
that's, if, if that's you're running it through Orphonic or something like that, then Orphonic applies yeah. a Luff's value as well at your discretion. So, yeah, and 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 I'm I'm heartened by how many really expert engineers finish off with Orphonic. You know, if you just I don't know, Derek, if you have discovered and you listen to the podcast engineering show, it is a fantastic yes, podcast. Is, and I'm Chris I'm heartened by how many of those guys are using <laughs> Orphonic. Yeah. Chris is great. I actually talked to him and showed him Reaper, how we use it. I actually sent him a couple of videos that I just made, and he just thinks that the fact that we can use Reaper is the coolest thing. Maybe you should be a guest on his show. Since yeah. <laughs> you, you should be on. I, Derek, you should, you should be on. You I would think, be a so. great yeah. guest. I, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. Have you, have you proposed it? No, I, I'm not really editing a podcast right now that's my own. I'm just helping people and teaching people how to do theirs. So That's all right. I think you're talking about it. It doesn't really, matter. It, a... yeah. <laughs> you, you, no, you, you, because you have great you have great tips about just audio production that, yes, yes, they're relevant to blind people, but they're relevant to sighted people, too. Yeah, you know, I think this is one of the things that I – so I got to speak at PodFest recently, and um, it was a real amazing thing for me because I realized that actually I possess a lot of knowledge that sighted people want, and often – we pigeonhole ourselves too much. We don't realize that we have it. And I have now got this inbox overflow of people who want me to be on their podcasts because I spoke at PodFest and it just made me real. And, and I completely agree with Glenn. I, I think, uh, I think you'd be an ideal candidate uh, for the podcast engineering show, Derek. Well, production I am great with, but marketing I am not. And so I always feel <laughs> we'll, we'll nominate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Jonathan and I, I both very... sent Chris email, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say no. But All I right. guess that's I guess it's a confidence thing, right? It's like a yeah, you know, you, you I don't know, but that's a totally different thing. No, but of, but but of... you're right. So so often blind people are sort of put in their box, um, and and we have to realize we've actually got a lot of transferable. Now, don't be talking about yourself like that. People don't like people talking about themselves. <laughs> Reading the yep. South like that. You don't do that kind of thing. You got to be humble. Yep. Bless your heart. Yep. Now, yep. Thank you so yep. much. Just bless your heart, which Marvelous actually means F you. Just depending on how you say bless your heart, it could either mean thank you or F you. Um, but that's <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate you dropping in, Derek, and, and helping us out with that. Really good thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Take All right. care. Hey, Derek. Good talking to you. And we'll bring uh, Gary O'Donoghue on, who has done more than his fair share of editing. Hello, Gary. You're still rocking your PodTrack P4? I am. I am, Jonathan. Hello to you and hello to, to, to Glenn. How are you doing? Good to hear you. Can, can you crank yourself up a little bit? reach out Gary? to you. I certainly can. Uh, how's that? That's much better. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a couple of observations. Um, one of the things I think people, um, and this can be done in, in most editing programs, one thing that can help people with fine editing, like Glenn was talking about, is making sure that you've got the, the you know the particular setting on that does a sort of a t the tiniest of tiniest crossfades between um, edits between you know when you do a delete edit effectively and and Reaper can do this between you know if you're creating items and chopping out an item and, and doing that and you know sound uh, uh, studio recorder can do it too and it just creates it recreates the the thing Glenn was talking about at the beginning when when he and I used to cut quarter-inch tape. You wouldn't cut it vertically. The the the, the razor blade went at about a sixty-degree angle on the on the slate in front of you, and it cut a sort of diagonal. And the reason for that is that if if you cut a vertical over tape, you know you would hear the click of the edit. Whereas it was a sort of slow kind of. It's, it's a tiny, tiny crossfade that you create with the with the actual. And I think if you, you were cutting stereo, you had to make it an even narrow angle like a 30 degree but 60 degree for mono and there are equivalents for that in digital editing and all the systems that just do tiny tiny edges in and out you can't hear them but they take away any possibility of clicks and pops and things like that and, and the other thing i was going to say about editing is i also agree with glenn about don't be afraid to edit within words so if you if you're reading something and you start a new sentence and you fluff Sure, go back to the beginning of the sentence and start again. That doesn't need to be your edit point. In fact, it's a much better idea to find a consonant, a hard consonant in the first couple of words yes. of your restart, you know, from the previous sentence. 
and you will, you know, a D or a T in the middle of a word, particularly, and you will find that it's amazing how much uh, clearer. Because when you restart, you just sort of start slightly differently. You know, the flow is different. And I would encourage people to. I mean, it sounds terribly complicated, but with with fine editing, you can you can you can find those places absolutely fine um, with scrubbing and, and things like that. So I definitely encourage um, uh, people to to do that. And also this whole business about changing meaning. I mean, it is it is an interesting thing, and it, I think it's an interesting thing when it comes to interviewing people because, you know. If you're a, if you're a journalist, then it's not your job to make them sound better or worse than they are. If you're a podcast producer, it probably is your job to make them sound better than they are. Um, so that it's sort of I feel it's kind of horses for courses. If I had a you know if I was producing someone uh, and they were rubbish at reading stuff, then I'd do absolutely everything I could to make them sound better. Um, if it's a you know a politician who's feeling uncomfortable, then I'm not going to take the ums out. No. Um, so those are. <laughs> Yeah. Those are just a just a just a few thoughts I had about editing. In, in, in uh, the, the guy who taught me to edit years ago on Quarter Inch Tape said, "Every edit is a moral decision." <laughs> I think that's right. You know, I I I think that's right. I, look, I just endorse everything you say. Uh, I originally turned the little cr- uh, crossfadey thing completely off. I think it has a pretty acceptable default in Reaper, and I turned it off for a while to see what it would do. And what I found was that with the drop-in method that I was talking about. Every so often, it would generate a slight electronic click, click, yeah, and, and that's really frustrating. So I would find myself having to go back. Uh, I'm now, and I have so much confidence using this drop-in method that sometimes I just record, do the drop-ins as I go, save, and don't listen back because of the time constraints I'm under. So that little tiny crossfade makes a big difference. Um, c- can I ask? Did you have any comments on uh, Gary's advice there, Glenn? Just, just that I agree a hundred percent. It's always amazing to me that you are, you know, continent away from someone you've never talked and you've come to the same conclusion yeah. independently. <laughs> I mean, this started out for me when I was working on the early days of Jaws and would periodically get together with Mike Hill from Dolphin. Uh, Mike was probably my my biggest ally in terms of, you know, exchanging war stories. Or we'd be at a conference and all these screen reader developers were there and it would come out that we'd all face the same problem and we'd come up with very similar solutions. So yeah, yeah it's it, it's uh it's great to hear and glad to hear that if I'm a nut, at least there are other nuts on the planet. <laughs> Specifically regarding techniques, guys, uh, what is your sweet spot in terms of the zoom ratio in reaper well it depends on the length of your file that's that's the the variable that 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 changes with the zoom ratio obviously um but you know in terms of i mean i'm dealing often dealing with a minute or two kind of thing and for fine editing you know at around 48 that sort of 48 64 that kind of area you can get pretty accurate i think but it does it does obviously depend on on the length See, I'll of the have file. to check this, but I'm so, not sure that my ratio changes depending on how long the file is. Um, but it might be the way my Reaper's configured. I don't think mine does either. Yeah, I I usually mine, take mine it definitely to like moves more if it's really because I was I was thinking that what it announces is twenty. So so I have my Reaper time set to sec- minutes and seconds, mm-hmm. not to beats and measures. Yep, yep. And when I go through the keys to to toggle the number of pixels, it always says 22 pixels per second, 30 pixels per second, 42 pixels. So therefore, that lulled me into thinking that it had nothing to do with the length of the file. Oh, well, I, could, I, I stand corrected if that's not true. I, I'd assumed because... Zoom ratios usually depend on the length of, of what you can, particularly what, what what amount of waveform is 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 um is visible on the screen at a time. But I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Derek Derek would definitely know. Well, he's still up. If, if did you want to comment on that, Derek? I don't want to put you on the spot there. But if you're there, you can unmute and comment if you like. Hey, Dave's not here, man. Yes, I Derek. was um. 
There we go. I was going to agree that it's the same to me. It doesn't matter if the file's five seconds or five minutes or oh, five I hours. Take it I mean, that's a misconception on my that's, part then. Apologies. Yeah, the, the pixels per inch gives you the same scrub. Uh, and your sweet spot, Derek, what would you advise in terms of... Uh, I like... Uh, around either, ironically enough, if I'm just sort of speed editing around 19 because it's a little faster than 1x when you're scrubbing. And then if you kind of need to dig in there around 40, around in the 40s, if you really got to dig in there pretty deep. For those who haven't edited in Reaper, you are effectively, it's like winding a tape back and forth. And I really do miss the one thing about using Reaper exclusively that I miss is the studio recorder feature where it's almost like you're using a CD player. So it's kind of more of a digital sound to your editing than an analog because ah, but Reaper has that too. Jonathan. It does have it. And it's, I was just about to get there and it's, but apparently <laughs> last I checked, it's not accessible. Is that still nope, the case? It's totally accessible. No. So how do um, we access that? I wish I had logged in on club deck. I just stream it straight up. Stupid, yeah. But, um, you basically set a key that you're not using right now, slash is not really doing anything, to toggle loop segment scrub at play cursor, or edit cursor. you got to do a custom one to get it to your play cursor. And then what you get is um, a loop of your desire length playing around your edit cursor. By default, uh, it's set to 88 milliseconds before your edit cursor, and then the end point is right at the edit cursor, so it's kind of useless. So you need to set it to something like 0 and 25, which are those last two values in preferences playback. Okay, First I'll have a play and see if it sounds yeah. the same as Studio Recorder does it. If you put around 0 for the first as opposed to negative 88, and then change that second number from 0 to about 25, and then set a key to um, the action toggle loop segment scrub at edit cursor. There is no play cursor. You have to customize that one into existing uh, pretty much by taking two actions and putting them together. Move edit cursor to play cursor and then um, toggle loop segment. Yeah, I do that yeah, with several I'm doing this off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, and when that, <laughs> getting some of the when, names wrong because I'm just, I'm doing like three other things at once. Um, but yeah. And, and that, that'll give you the results you want. In Studio Recorder, you sort of, as you, you move the arrow, it's sort of previewing, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, it's kind of rock and rolling, isn't it, effectively on the, on the thing that's got focus from memory. Is that right, Jonathan? Yeah. yeah it, I, I find it hard to describe. It's almost like it's, it, it's rapidly repeating. Yes. What's, yeah, there's a tiny fragment that's under the cursor. So it does help with those really minute edits, but it's yeah. what you get used to. I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing just as well with Reaper now. Yeah, I didn't prepare any sort of thing. I, if I can find, uh, if I can get this set up for you, I will. Now we, we, need, we need to get you all on the blind uh, podcast creators group, Derek, so that you can you know, stretch your stuff and share the wisdom. Be lovely. Remind me of the email, and I will send that. Good on email you, man. And be right there. Get on you. Get on you. Creators remind, dash remind subscribe. Remind us of the email. Creators dash Creators dash subscribe at theblindpotmaker.com. Stand by. Lovely. Do you have any other thoughts on the whole editing thing, Gary? You know, I mean, you're doing this for a living, and uh, your pieces sound nice. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off at 6.15, and the first voice I hear, well, actually, my alarm goes off at 5, but morning report comes on on the Sonos at 6.15, and the first voice I hear sometimes is you. That's just such a frightening concept that Gary's now gone. Maybe he got a phone call. All right. Well. Sorry. Sorry. Oh. That was me. That was my f finger trouble. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the, the basic editing I do nowadays is just topping and tailing voice pieces. But um, the the thing I the only thing I was the other thing I was going to say was about um, normalization and loudness. And I I do the same as Derek does. I do that kind of normalization to start with. Um, and then you can tell how much, because then, because the, the loudness, um, thing in Reaper also gives you a peak value when you, when you, um, uh, when you analyze the loudness of something, uh, that tells you the peak as well as the, the loudness value at that time. Um, but also if you, if you do the normalization to common gain, 
then you know how much compression to apply in order to be able to then bring up the the RMS value if it's if it's too low, as it were, without actually and, peaking. And do you use the if you're using Ray Comp, there's an option that I can't remember the exact name. It's like compensate or something, and it make, it actually brings gain, the level think, up. Yeah, do you use that? Uh, do you know? I'm not entirely sure how makeup gain works. I thought it it brought things up, but I'm not. I'm not it sure. It does. Is that what it's for? Yeah, its math is a little flawed, but yes, mm. it does work more often than not. In I mean, the thing about loudness is that a lot of broadcasters, particularly now, you know, just reject stuff that's not in. Um, so people who make programs for the BBC. You know, there's a there's a spec you have to deliver them on, uh, and it's usually related to loudness values. And I think um, in, in television, for example, the, the European standard is minus twenty three. Yes. Um, and then for for radio, um, I think the last time I looked, it was minus sixteen for stereo and minus eighteen for mono programs, something like that. Yeah, it's a Jerry. I just want to tell you how much I loved your uh, special on the blind uh, blues maker. It was oh good, great, I'm wasn't glad it? You liked it that. was I, really. I loved good. making yeah, that. It was really I good. Yeah, that. loved that thing. All right, hey, thanks, guys. Thank Stay up both. on the stage, and we'll bring Sarah Hillis in, who's been very patiently waiting. Well, she, she may not have been patiently waiting, but she has been waiting. I, I can't tell. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. Um, I just wanted to say. That uh, about 20 years ago, I went into a recording studio and was going to record some music with a, an engineer slash producer. And I was very suspicious about any kind of editing. I didn't understand that that's, how, that's like three quarters of what goes on, you know, in a, in a, <laughs> in a recording setting, right? To, to make things work the way they're supposed to and so every time he suggested an edit I was like are you sure is it gonna work you know and then he showed it to me and I was like okay it works okay (laughs) I was very I was very I was very very suspicious and now 20 years later I'm like oh let's edit oh let's edit this let's put let's put this word from this verse into that verse because it's the same word but it's but it's it's it there's not a silly artifact on it or whatever like oh I just like it's it's such a what a difference you know familiarity makes but what i was always suspicious any editing had to be somehow morally suspect right somehow back in the day for me if you didn't get it right the first time what good were you <laughs> and now i'm like oh let's do a take here and a take there and let's you know, it's just it does strange. bring to mind a story i interviewed les paul and i'm sure he told this story in other places as well but he did an album with chet atkins and so they went in the studio and ran through all the songs, you know, it's pretty much a live recording of their duets. And at the end of the day, Chet said, that was a really good rehearsal. We'll get it in tomorrow and we'll, we'll lay it down for sure. And Les (laughs) said, no, we're done. I'm out of (laughs) here. No editing required. Gosh, he was amazing. I mean, a lot of the early stuff that he did was just sound on sound. I mean, there was no multi-track. Yeah. So if you got one layer wrong, you were kind of doomed. Yeah. He did create his own multi-track machine, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. And I can't remember yeah. how, but yes, he... Got an extra tape did, head from Ampex and did something crazy to it. I don't know the story yeah. either. I, I don't know. I thought I was it. thinking he some, there was somehow wider tape or something. I just, yeah, I can't remember the specifics, but it was really early as compared to anybody else. You've started working with Reaper fairly recently, haven't you, Sarah? And how's that going, if that's the case? Um, I guess it was about three years ago I began. And uh, just in the last few months, I haven't touched it much for anything, but, but it is... Um, it's it's very good because it makes me think of what my recording engineer person was doing, the way that editing works. Um, he was using Pro Tools, of course, and uh, he could scrub. He could he could either scrub visually or scrub audi- auditorially. Auditorially, there we'll have to edit that. See, <laughs> 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 and um, he he. Uh, 
so he did he he showed me some of that like what he was doing and made me understand how amazing crossfading actually is and i was going to say yeah um using the crossfade i i was suspicious of the crossfade in reaper for a lot of a long time but i did get those little clicks and i was like why is this happening and then i just i just uh i forget what someone told me to do but i just adjusted the values ever so slightly and it it almost almost always works. Yeah, it only takes a few to. milliseconds. Even with like a couple of piano notes or something you want to fix, right? It, it you don't hear, you don't if you do it carefully enough, you don't hear the edit happen. And when I can when I can hardly hear the edit happen, then I know it's good because I'm very picky about my the sound of edits on in music and in spoken word. Uh I cannot tell you how many times I've heard Again, with journalism it's a little different than with podcasting, but with with uh, a sound bite on a newscast and you totally know that there was an edit there. And you're like, "What what did they leave out? What did they <laughs> Yeah. What were they going to say?" <laughs> you also hear nowadays people not doing little fades on the end of clips, you know. I mean, yeah. it was absolutely standard the, when the, I started, you do a little, you know, you, cuz you're cutting something off got to do it you've got to do a very quick or a tiny fade just to or, smooth it off and people just do don't this, bother people yeah, don't bother or they anymore. do this thing where uh the journalist will come in with their copy and the clip is still going yeah there's still more being said there and yes. they've decided you don't need to really hear that yeah <laughs> it's interesting i just thought of an example uh relating to the death of prince philip and gary may be familiar with this so Boris Johnson, obviously, under he would have had a prepared statement ready to go. Of course, uh, Prince Philip's death was not a surprise. But Boris Johnson got out at uh, 10 Downing Street in the front there where they often go to speak. And he gave this little speech and he talked about Prince Philip's love of the national world. And then he corrected himself and said natural world. Yes. Now, for the first couple of times I heard that on the Radio 4 News Bulletin subsequently, they ran that little piece unedited. But then probably about two or three hours after, they'd cleaned it up. And it was a very clean edit where he talked about his love of the natural world and the the little verbal slippage was very elegantly gone. And I thought that's quite an interesting thing that, (laughs) you know, it it hasn't really taken anything away. But I thought, I wonder how much how much debate or, or, or who, who decided that it was all right to just take that little verbal faux pas out in that instance? I doubt whether there'd have been much debate, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's when you, when you think about it, you think, uh, are you hurting or harming? You're, you're doing neither. Yeah. You know, you're certainly not harming. And mm. you're, you're making it a slightly easier uh, process for the, for the listener. Um, the one area where you can never do that, of course, in, well, certainly in Britain, is you're not allowed to edit um, parliamentary um, stuff oh, wow. that happens in Parliament. So you can't play a 30-second clip and chop 10 seconds out of the middle of it. You have to play nope. it in its entirety from beginning to end, whatever, you know, whatever it's like in terms of... Yeah, we, we, we had ours. that happen in, uh, in Canada in, uh, with uh, Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> He he swore up and down. He did not swear in Parliament, but he did. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't take it out. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, thanks for sharing your experience with that, Sarah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm sorry it wasn't more substantive, but, you know, just... No, no, everybody's very welcome. It's, it's so interesting to, to just view the way that I've changed my views on it. Uh, it is very powerful, though, and you don't want to, as, as we were saying, we don't want to be immoral about how we edit things right i think yes there is a real responsibility and i have to say you know it's not that well known in the blind community certainly internationally but i do another podcast for the organization i'm ceo of and we do sometimes interview politicians and i take the same approach i tend to just let it run uh if i want to edit out a complete question or something like that that's one thing just to tighten up for time but i don't edit a politician in the same way say that i would uh, edit somebody who may be a little nervous about being on a podcast or, you know, who's, who's imparting information. It's a, it's a different mindset for me. Yeah. All right, let's talk to Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. It's marvellous what you blind people can do. 
Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm a podcaster too. And uh, when it's about editing, I think I'm a, a bit picky myself as well, <laughs> especially where for sorts of noise or uh, deep breaths. I can't, I don't know. I don't like to hear very, <sighs> you know, depressing yeah. the recordings. I don't like it at all. So, um, yeah, my, my process is, is quite simple. I, I think when, when I do editing, it's just a, a, a bit of uh, denoising at the very beginning and then um, loudness normalization to minus 16. And then I start to chop the file to remove what is uh, unlikely to be there. And then um, that's it. Save the file, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so that that's that's my approach when it's about editing podcasts, mm-hmm. and it's about music. Um, I didn't record in music uh, in my own. I'm a musician, and I had two music albums in Romanian languages edited years ago. I think in 2000 and 2001, and I was in a professional studio, and I think probably one of my <laughs> Um, you know, feelings for audio editing has started from that time. I was really blown up when I saw what is in the studio and how, how um, easy it is for a sound engineer to make everything, you know, right. And so that, I think that was a kind of aha moment for me <laughs> about sound editing. <laughs> yeah, so um, I don't know when uh, I'll have plenty or when I'll have more time, or t- uh, bit by bit, I hope to to arrive one day at that stage when to uh, when to you know to be able to produce my own music. I know that that is a possibility. It's just a matter of learning and practicing. Yeah. And so in terms of the mechanics of editing, so we've talked about a lot of uh, of things relating to the sound, what we want to end up with. I take it that most people are using the left bracket to mark the beginning of the section and the right bracket to mark the end and uh, and, and do all those sorts of methods. Is that how people are selecting audio? Yes, I do in that way. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I, and I'm going with Command A and P. Oh, right, so yes, they, so that's know, right. There are other the things out there than Reaper, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at the beginning of the stage with the Reaper, so um, hope one day to be uh, at least um, as proficient as, as I am in, in Amadeus today, but, yeah. Um, you will get you will get there, I predict. Yeah, I'll get there. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I think there are lots of advantages to switching to Reaper. Glenn, is that what you're doing? You're you're marking your selections with the left and right bracket keys. I am, but I'm seldom doing the final cut there. I'm using it as the starting point for a scrub, mm-hmm. and typically I'll mark it and play from that location. And if it seems weird, try to mark it again. If it's a fair distance away. If it's close, I'll just use the left and right arrow keys with the zoom set to pretty close to what in, Derek mentioned, yes. 19, 19 pixels. In Audacity, I use uh, brackets. And, uh, in Audacity, find, 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 the, yeah. find the spot. Right. Here's the tip if you're using your brackets a lot for selecting. If you're not using the Cubus generator in Reaper to generate multiple headphone mixes for like bands and stuff, and you're not using W to wind your way to the beginning of the project, you don't mind foregoing those two keys, go into your actions list with F4 and find your left bracket key, you know, find shortcut, find left bracket, map it to Q and right bracket to W. Now your Q and W is doing your selection start and end, and your right hand doesn't have to move from the arrow keys, and you can just bash the delete key with your uh, right hand as well without having to move it very far. And you're going to go through audio a lot quicker. Yeah, that's a cool little efficiency hack. It's amazing how those things can make a difference. Just change the keys a little bit, and you will go through audio so much faster. Yeah. It's ridiculous. There is also a way, Derek, isn't there, and and I haven't done this, and I've I've been meaning to do it, of building custom actions that allow you to preview um, what something will sound like 
either side of a selection. So play up, play, you know, play excluding play this. play skipping time selection that's yes. already in there. I think it's alt space. The problem with it is is that it doesn't quite accurately give you what your edit will sound like because it doesn't do the crossfades that you okay. may have. A, I understand that uh, Jim Snowbagger's scripts may, though, that uh, he's, he's put some stuff in the JAWS scripts that do this. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and Amadeus, if I want to listen what I selected or uh, what is the, uh, the sound after the selection will be removed, there's a short key, quite easy. You press E and you can listen how the, the, uh, that portion will, will sound after you, you have this selection. I think that's what Derek was saying, the alt, yeah, the alt yeah. space. Is that the one, Derek? You say alt space? Yes. Yeah, what I'm, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I I'm not. About don't quote me on stuff. this. I'm not on the hot seat. I didn't mean to get on the hot seat. I didn't. I think <laughs> shift space that plays the selection itself, doesn't it? Uh, Does that do that? Oh, it would make sense because you yeah. shift as the modifier. Seems that, yeah. Because control shift space will tell you what's selected with right. Sara. It'll report your selection. In time track or item or what have you. Okay. There you go. None of that. What editor is this we're talking about? Reaper. Oh, we're mixing it up. Reaper. Okay, Reaper. I've thought about looking at that because I've been using. This is Yvonne, by the way. I haven't welcomed you yet, Yvonne. Go ahead. Hello, Jonathan. And as always, tell Bonnie hello. See, I like her better now. It's a Tennessee thing. Um, I've been using Audacity, and I'm I'm okay, happy with it for what I'm doing because I'm just editing uh, uh, voice and everything. Sure. Yeah. And Audacity C is making that command to listen without selection. I'm excited to see where Audacity goes because they just got new management and they want to implement a non-destructive. Um, editing yeah, in their the product. The first thing they implemented was some sort of <laughs> tracking technology, so that hasn't gone down well. <laughs> yeah, it was a big scandal about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what a great way to start their new regime. <laughs> oh, I didn't say everything that they're going to do was good. I, I was saying I'm interested to see where it goes because if, you know, the, the better parts of the things they want to offer are going to happen, then... Uh, there's a lot to look forward to in, in watching it and not, you know. So is Reaper going to be much of a learning curve? So oh. I can, um, I can do Audacity? It's different, like everything else, and that doesn't help you at all, I know. Um, <laughs> because that's the same kind of side that somebody gave me when I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about looking at the Mac, and so how would I... <sighs> okay, all right, got it. It's different, I know. <laughs> It, it's it's everything has its own learning curve. So I heard y'all say something about scripts for it. Um, um, there were some great scripts mm, from Jim Snowbarger. Yeah, he's done a brilliant job with them, and I it, it's improved my productivity immensely having those scripts. We've got some interesting Chinese. Yeah, I think I've got a. I've got a hub monitor and one of the wires is getting off. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. We're about to wrap up, um, folks, so we're just coming up to the top of the hour. Um, Glenn, I just want to pass it over to you for some final thoughts on, on editing and techniques and anything you want to close us with. And if I can ask if people can just mute themselves, um, double tap that mute button in the bottom there so we can have a nice clean bit of audio from Glenn. Would really appreciate that. Uh, Glenn, your thoughts? This was great fun. I'm really glad uh, you and I talked about my my joining you, and it worked out so quickly. Uh, I really really enjoyed uh, hearing from everybody who who shared their similar experiences. I just encourage those of you who maybe don't spend so much time uh, doing editing for time and trying to clean things up to you know take take some small steps, right? If you're doing a podcast and you don't edit much at all, think about removing a couple of ums here and there. See how it works out for you. It's It can clearly be an iterative process. Uh, my my personal bias is it, it does often uh, make it much 
more fascinating for people to hear the guests because you'll have a guest on who will sound just, you know, who may sound mediocre when you begin. And by the time you're finished editing, they just, they seem like one of the best, you know, speakers on the planet. And if they're not a regular podcast producer, they probably thank you very much as long as you maintain their general messaging. So it's been, it's been great fun. And I hope to, uh, drop in periodically on the uh, podcasters roundtable on Sunday, although it's uh, it's a time that I'm not usually <laughs> sitting in front of my Heil PR40, uh, but I could make an exception. We love the Heil PR40. I, I've got you to thank for getting me into the Heil PR40, and now I have a couple of them in the studio. But I, I think another thing to think about is that it's it's consideration for your listener, isn't it? Their time is precious, and if you can convey information in a more succinct way, in less time, people are more likely to stick around, aren't they? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. It's been absolutely cool, and we'll look forward to being back with everybody next week for the Blind Podcasters Roundtable. A reminder, if you would like to subscribe to our forum where discussions often continue, creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. That's creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. See you next week.